Do you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Well, hey, this is Dan Miller. We're taking care of business today. Every day, taking care of business may mean a lot of different things to you, depending on where you are. Doesn't mean you need to be an entrepreneur or another Donald Trump out there, but even if you're working for a company, you are in business for yourself. You are your own entity. It ought to be, you know, Donald Smith, Inc., or whatever your name happens to be, because you are an organization of your own. That's the way you ought to be looking at it. That's the way you'll recognize you're not trapped. You may have one customer today. You may choose to have five customers tomorrow, and it's not a quantum leap. So we're going to be taking care of business in a variety of ways. This is where each week we take 48 minutes to go through some of the many questions submitted during the course of the week. I am your host, Dan Meller. If you're new to 48 Days, we welcome you in. have a lot of people showing up in various places on our various sites and forums, uh, ways that people are getting involved. Lots of you are getting involved at 48days.net. That's a networking community. I cringe when I say social networking site because that seems to imply my face or Facebook where you tell somebody what you had for breakfast this morning. It's not that, but it's a place. 48days.net is a place where people can share ideas. They're people who are stepping out of the ordinary. They're doing things that are creative. You know, I've got uh, somebody next week that I'm going to highlight as a member of the week, Chris Holstrom, and he left a traditional job and just opened up a hot rod repair shop. I mean, what could get my blood boiling more than that? What an exciting idea. So he's restoring old Camaros and bets and things like that. I got a note from him yesterday. He's ahead of schedule and he is totally switched. He no longer has a traditional job. He's doing just his hot rod restoration and thrilled about where he is and what's happening. Those are the kind of people that hang around 48days.net. So if you've got an idea and want to jump in that group there, you'll get encouragement for whatever it is that you're trying to accomplish. Well, here's some of the questions we're going to be looking at this week. Should I go to medical school just because my parents will pay for it? All right, here's another college question. My parents have enough money but won't help me pay for a college education. Now I resent them. But we got two sides of the equation there, don't we? Another one, Dan, my husband's been unemployed for two years. He goes on interviews, but no job. He's very discouraged. He has an MBA and a CPA also. Um, another one, golly, another one. My husband's been unemployed for the past two years, has no current job prospects. Is there anything he can add to his CV to attract employers? Here's an interesting question. Is currency trading a wholesome occupation for a Christian? Well, as always, the questions are interesting and uh, more intriguing than anything I could possibly dream up. So we're going to jump right into those. If if you're looking for an opportunity to come to one of our live events, we're gearing up for another one. Next one's going to be coaching with excellence, people who want to be coaches. Now that covers people who want to be financial coaches, sports coaches, spiritual directors, parenting coaches, career coaches, life coaches, and the list goes on and on. Coaching is a broad term. It's a hot topic right now, a lot of opportunities. Having a coach is seen as a very positive kind of status symbol, 
at this point. You know, it still has kind of a negative connotation if you tell somebody you know, you're going to a shrink or you're going to a counselor. That's a little different. But, geez, having a coach, I mean, people brag about that. People at the top of their game have coaches. So it, it doesn't have the negative kind of implication that counseling does. Thus, the market is explosive. I mean, that being the case, I mean, where everybody knows it's kind of a cool thing to have a coach. Yeah, there's a big, big market there. So the next event coming up is May 19th and 20th. And we're going to be working with people who say, I want to be a coach. How can I shape this? How can I leverage my area of expertise and really create significant income? And that's exactly what we do in that live event, Coaching with Excellence, is go through you will never be able to have enough clients where you can just do one-on-one coaching and make a reasonable living. I mean, that's why 85% of coaches never make more than $40,000 a year. Well, we're going to show you how to put yourself in the other 15% by doing things like creating products. You could create an audio product that you sell for $8. You could create a little instructional manual with a couple CDs that you sell for $197. You could have a live event where you charge $495 to come to that. And you can have an exclusive coaching program. What if you had four clients who paid you $25,000 a year? Now, that's not an unreasonable stretch. I mean, there's a whole lot of people that pay way more than a couple thousand dollars a month for their coaching. And that's all we're talking about. What if you simply had four clients that paid you $25,000 a year and you had a one-year coaching program? Well, that would be $100,000. I mean, for a lot of you, that would be a, a pretty nice foundational start. Well, those are the kind of things we cover there. Hey, I don't want to go, I don't want to bore you with details. If you're interested in coaching, we'd love to have you join us here. Uh, if that's not your bag, there's lots of other ways to do well in today's environment. Obviously, we've got other events like the Right to the Bank event as well. Well, here's our quotation for the day. It comes from Henry David Thoreau. You know, I find myself going back to Thoreau so many times. He lived a very odd kind of life, no question about it. Golly, some of the things he said were profound. Just make you think. This is one that I've always loved. If a man does not keep pace with his companions, perhaps it is because he hears a different drummer. Let him step to the music which he hears, however measured or far away. Well, maybe you're hearing a different song, different music than the people around you. Pay attention to that. It may be taking you to a place that most people only dream of going. I want to comment real quickly on a question. I'm going to do a bog on this as well, but this is an interesting question. I'm going to go through some principles just really quickly. This is just one snippet out of a very long note that I got from a guy. Dan, are you out there? Is there really any hope? Do you really have some workable solutions for the rest of us? Or are you just cashing in on our insecurities? Wow. Now, how should I handle that kind of question? Dan, are you just cashing in on our insecurities? Well, you know, my response is, you're right to question spending any money or time in any self-help program. I mean, there's so much garbage out there. I mean, I, I'm just this morning again got hammered with somebody wanting me to promote a particular program. And there's no way in the world I'm going to do it. Because I've seen so many people come into this program, get excited for about 90 days, and then they burn out and realize that it's not scalable. It's never going to work in big numbers. 
you know, and they're making $2 a month on the back end. I'm not going to promote that kind of stuff. So, I mean, you're right to question things and do a little due diligence, but don't slam the door totally. Now, yes, I've made a lot of money, you know, selling my materials. My gosh, with the 48 days to the work you love, I generated over $2 million selling that in just a three ring binder before I ever had a publishing deal or ever went to a bookstore or library or anything, just selling it as a three ring binder on the internet. Now, it would not continue selling, however, if it were not really helping people. I mean, that was published then in a traditional form back in 2005. It's been updated a couple times since then, the most recent one in May of 2010, and it continues to sell really, really well. I don't think it would do that unless it really had valid things that were helping people go to higher levels of success. Now, could I just, you know, come up with something that was just hype and, and emotion, didn't have any real substance and get rich? I suppose, although I, I really think those days are pretty well gone. It used to be possible to do that on the internet, especially. You could have things that were just smoke and mirrors and put it out there and there were going to be enough gullible people that you could make a quick hit and run and hide somewhere. But the internet is too transparent at this point. You can only do that once. And people are going to figure out what you're all about and what kind of things you promote. I mean, it's too easy to get information. So it would be very short-sighted to do something that I thought was just taking advantage of people. Now, on and on. But here's the point. And I wanted to share this with you podcast listeners because I think you are a, a very special group. I mean, I talk to lots of you. And, you know, I, I think I know how you think. You know, you're not just dragging along at the bottom of the barrel. So I'm going to say something here and I, you know, I know that you'll understand, but I also know that it's going to be misinterpreted by some people when they read this in a blog. But here's the reality. I make nickels and dimes working with people who are fearful, insecure, discouraged, angry, and frustrated. Nickels and dimes. Get the picture here. And it's very exhausting, emotionally draining work. But I make hundreds of thousands of dollars every year working with people who are confident, enthusiastic, bold, and optimistic about the future. Now, where do you think the focus of my attention is? I mean, it's if I really were taking advantage of people's insecurities and the people who are really frustrated and down and out, I mean, frankly, it doesn't make good business sense to do that. It's too hard of work to do that. Yes, you know, we we do a lot of ministry things. We give away lots of things to organizations that are helping people who are chronically down and out. Man, that's a tough business model. I mean, that's really like pulling teeth. It's a whole lot easier to work with people who are already on the path to success. They already believe there are a lot of possibilities out there. And they are optimistic about what the future is bringing. I mean, that's where business gets really easy to conduct. Now, I hope you can frame that in with the spirit with which I intend it. I mean, we're always going to be able to, you know, to help people who are just getting a fresh start, who are really struggling, and they're always going to be there. But trust me, that's not what the focus of my business is because that's just too difficult a work. 
Okay. Well, let me go on to the question. Sylvia says, Dan, I heard somewhere, I believe it was while listening to The Strangest Secret by Earl Nightingale, that when successful people can't find the circumstances they're looking for, they create them. My desire is to be an inspirational, motivational speaker and author. I've started writing a book and will hopefully finish it this year. Although I'm a great speaker and have been invited to speak at several church events, I'm not well known. My friend purchased some radio airtime with a well-known local station. She allows others to use her airtime when she's unable to go on the air for a very small fee. I want to use the airtime to launch my speaking career, speaking on topics to motivate and encourage people to have a life of purpose, and then direct them to my website. What are your thoughts about this? I think it's fine, Sylvia. What you're describing is very typical. I mean, you can buy radio airtime very inexpensively these days. I mean, radio is one of many mediums that people get information from. So you don't have a captive audience like you used to. And a lot of local radio stations have very, very small listening audiences. But it's fine to do that. Don't be unrealistic about what you expect from that. I mean, if you're going to spend, you know, you're going to buy 30-minute slot and you're going to pay $100 for that, yeah, go ahead and do that. But are you going to have people flock to your website? Are you going to have people that raise their hands and say they want to have you as a speaker because of that? Not likely. You'll start to build an audience. Is one, it's one of many things that you should do. I mean, people often ask me, you know, what is the one thing that really kind of got you to the tipping point? I have no idea because I did everything. I spoke hundreds of times at Rotary Clubs and Kiwanis Clubs and churches. You know, I was on the radio for six years. I did a free community seminar every week on Monday nights for eight years. I mean, I did all kinds of things. And the compilation of all those things then created some momentum. So do this. It's not going to be a magic pill, but it's one thing of, you know, many that you could do. I mean, I have in our, well, in our Right to the Bank event that we just did I have a list of 48 things to fill your marketing funnel, 48 things to do. I don't expect anybody to do all of those, but I expect everybody to do four or five and to do those consistently and with excellence. Denise says, I'm currently working as an accounting manager. I work four days a week, six hours a day. I'm ready to start looking for a new job. When should I bring up my current work schedule? The introduction letter interview or after an offer has been made. I'm afraid companies won't consider me based on my schedule. Um, Denise, your current schedule should really be a non-issue. It should have nothing to do with your job search. It, it I don't, I don't um, really expect it to be an issue at any point in doing a job search, negotiating a new position. Now you're working 24 hours a week. I mean, that's fine. If you want to continue that, that, that may even be, be advantageous because when you're working with a new company, especially as an accounting manager, I mean, 98% of the companies out there aren't going to need a full-time accounting manager. So the fact that you are working 24 hours a week now may be an advantage. It may be easier, frankly, for you to get 10 hours a week with four different companies than it would be to find one 40-hour a week job. So really what you're doing now is not a disadvantage or a negative in any way. Decide what it is you want, then identify the companies that would be potential prospects for that where there is a match and then do your job search. 
Dan, I'm a big listener to your podcast. I need some help. I have an incredible opportunity to attend a great medical school for free thanks to a wonderful gift from my parents. I'm scheduled to start in August, but lately have been having second thoughts. I enjoy science and medicine, but I have a passion in entrepreneurship and business. When I think about practicing medicine, I always find myself getting more excited about the business and money side of it. My pre-medical advisors all say that if you're not completely passionate about the practice of medicine, you should not become a doctor. They say the worst thing you can do is to go into it for the money. My parents really want me to go to medical school regardless of this, but I have a couple of really great small business ideas that I want to try. I simply devour entrepreneurship and small business books, and I'm ready to start really starting to burn out in my pre-med classes. To further complicate this decision, I have a wife and two children under the age of three. We are unsure if we want to make the enormous time commitment that is required for medical school and residency training. We are currently considering deferring my admission for one year while we try these other small businesses out. I would really appreciate any advice you have to offer in this matter. Thanks for all you do, Austin. Austin, man, I love your question. What a great position to be in. But it's also tricky because of some of the dynamics that you mentioned. When you've got your parents who are offering to pay for medical school, I assume that they haven't just put out there, you know, $250,000 in a pot and said, it's yours to use, you know, however you want. Incidentally, you know, one way that would be kind of cool is if you would go to medical school. Now, you know, you would have some other choices if that were the case, but I assume that they were are willing to pay for medical school or keep their money and you figure something else out. Yeah, that makes it a little trickier, but you've offered all kinds of reasons here that would be red flags for you pursuing that. I mean, I, I could make a full-time living coaching nothing but doctors who went to medical school because of their parents' encouragement to go to medical school. I mean, it would be really easy. I mean, most of the physicians I see, that's a pretty strong theme. They went not because it was a good career path, but because somebody else expected them to and perhaps even offered to pay for it. But, I mean, if they could pay a million dollars for you to go through medical school, and if the day you graduate, you aren't thrilled about being a doctor, everybody has lost on that scenario. So absolutely, with your concerns, take a year, take two years. I mean, the opportunity to go to medical school isn't going to go away in one or two years. So take one or two years and flesh out the things that you really are drawn to. Obviously, if you make those work, you'll never look back and certainly never spend the time, effort, and money in medical school. As you described, there is a big opportunity cost to you personally, even if you aren't paying financially for going to medical school. There's a really big opportunity cost. The years in medical school, you know, maybe four years in medical school, maybe another three in residency before you even come out and are ready to do anything, maybe a couple more if you specialize. Wow. Yeah. Your, your children that you mentioned wife and two children, two children under the age of three. I mean, those kids are going to go through a a critical decade of really important 10 years while you're in school and overwhelmed with the demands of medical school. That in itself may cause you to make a decision not to go. Medical school is not a magic pill, believe me. There's a whole lot of other things that can be done, and there's a whole lot of people that went to medical school simply because they had the ability 
to go to medical school or they, you know, got scholarships or funding. In your case, parents provided for it. But those are poor reasons to pursue it. It better be the absolute best match for how God has gifted you and for the desires that you have in your heart. If it's not, don't do it. Stephanie from Denver says, my parents have enough money, but wouldn't help pay for public university. I got some scholarships, but the cost of living is high in California. Now I resent them. Many parents don't understand that college inflation is two times normal inflation. So it's harder to work through college today than it was for them. So we have exactly the opposite here. Now we have somebody who wanted to go to college and parents, well, this is probably college rather than medical school, but anyway, wanted to go and is resentful that the parents had the money but wouldn't pay. Well, I'm not sure that you would be better off if your parents had agreed to pay. I mean, now we, we see that a lot. I mean, we see, I mean, I live here in Nashville. There's colleges on every corner and, you know, Vanderbilt University, very prestigious university. And I see, you know, kids down there that are driving BMWs and Volvos and Mercedes. And, you know, they're spending $45,000 a year uh, to get a degree that'll qualify them to get a $28,000 a year job. Now, you know, are the parents really doing them a favor by simply allowing them to hang out there and living a life of luxury? I don't think they are. I think it's going to be a real stark reality check when a lot of these kids get out and realize real life doesn't offer them that kind of comfort and luxury. You really do have to work for things. And working for something called a college education right out of the gate is not a bad thing. Now, you know, maybe I'm biased because of my experience, but my parents didn't want me to go to college and certainly never paid a penny for me to go. Am I resentful of that? Not at all. Golly, I got married young in that process as well. Joanna and I had a blast going through college. You know, I mean, she worked, she uh, did tailor-made dresses for ladies, managed a fabric store. I mean, I was always doing things, painting houses and remodeling on the side and stuff. We lived in a little uh, mobile home on a trailer park just on the edge of Ohio State University. Our rent that included water and garbage, you know, water, sewage, and garbage, our rent was $27.50 a month. And I mean, we would scrape to get that, but that's how we lived. Nobody was paying our bills, but we didn't go into debt. We didn't borrow money. We just lived in what we had. And we'd, we'd take, you know, a $300 vacation and have a blast because we'd go pitch a tent on the beach somewhere. It's hard to make a case for the fact that your parents are ruining your life because they aren't paying for your education. I mean, if that's the only challenge you've got in life, you you be need to count your blessings and move forward. I don't think this is an issue at all. Non-issue. Vicki from Mississippi says, my husband's been unemployed for two years. We live in a small town with 19% unemployment. He goes on interviews, but no job. He's very discouraged. What should he do? He has an MBA and a CP. PA as well. Wow. Okay, and that, I mean, I'm, I'm just taking that in. He has a master's in business administration, an MBA, and a certified professional accountant, CPA. He does part-time work, but wants a real job. He got laid off due to cutbacks as, at his last job. Well, boy, this is this is tough. But we can go. We can track where the challenge is. 
If he's not getting any interviews at all, then we need to look at his resume and his initial presentation. Why don't people even want to talk to him? But you said he goes on interviews, but gets no job. Okay, let's stop there. If he's had four or five interviews and has not gotten a job offer, then we need to look at what's happening in the interview. Why do companies decide in an interview that he's not somebody they want on their team? Now, this can get to be a catch-22 because being out of work for two years is very discouraging. It can do, it can play havoc on our self-esteem. So his self-esteem is probably really low. But those things have a tendency to be very, very transparent. Those things tend to come through. Also, any, even the slightest bit of subtle implication that somebody owes him a job or that he's resentful because nobody has hired him will sabotage his opportunity to get a job. He has to be extremely energetic and confident, enthusiastic. Those are things that will get him opportunities. So I would suggest that he needs to role play the interviewing. Have somebody else play the role of the interviewing. Have him switch. Have somebody play him. Would he be excited about bringing this person on board? Is he the kind of person that somebody is going to be excited about having on their team? I mean, what interviewers are asking themselves in those first initial minutes of an interview are not, what are the fancy degrees behind this guy's name? You know, what are his years of experience? They're saying, is this guy honest? Is this guy fun to be around? Is this somebody that we would want to have on our team? You know, is this somebody that has clearly communicated what value he brings to our company, how our company is going to be a better company by having him involved? I mean, those are the things you got to deal with. It does not depend on the economy, the unemployment rate, or your degrees or experience. Getting a job means you have conveyed to a company that they're going to be worse off if they don't have you on board. That's what you have to convey. Boy, I feel for you, Vicki. I mean, having a husband who's been out of work for two years has got to be a real strain in other ways that, you know, affects relationships, self-esteem, certainly finances, and all kinds of things snowball. I know you need to break this cycle, but I think it can be done. If your husband has, you know, graduate degrees like that, he ought to be a great candidate. And there are companies that are eager to have him on board if he conveys that clearly what his value is. Patrice from Wisconsin says, Dan, I'm currently in a two-year contract with my job for relocation. So she was, she was, had relocation expenses, but because of that, then signed a two-year commitment. All right, not uncommon at all. I've just been put on 30-day probation. I've been surviving for one year and three months. I know that I'm not going to improve because I want to leave. I want to know how I can negotiate my relocation if they lay me off. Sure. I mean, everything's negotiable. If you don't want to be there, they ought to recognize that. And they ought to recognize they're not winning by keeping you there. Nobody wins if they put you on probation so you're not performing as they would want you and you don't want to be there. Nobody wins. Yeah, you ought to renegotiate that. I mean, it may state in your employment agreement that you, if you leave before the two years are up, then you repay the entire relocation fee. So let's say that it was $4,000. Well, just go in and negotiate the fact that you've already been there for one year and three months. You only have nine months of the two years left. So what if 
you negotiated to pay back $1,000 of that. And they released you and went away. Now to start with, I wouldn't even do that. I would just say, look, this isn't working out well. You know, you're not happy. I'm not happy. How about if I just move on? You may be surprised that they just say, you know what? You're right. And, and really, God, to take it a step farther, I mean, if you just quit, I mean, you walked away from it, the chances of them coming after you for a little relocation fee when, and when you had a two-year agreement and you were there all but nine months, the chances of them coming after you for that are really, really small. I mean, companies don't waste their time and money going after that kind of a deal. It, it's wasted time and energy. It would be impossible for them to collect on that. I mean, yeah, could they go through a lengthy, expensive process and get a legal judgment against you? Perhaps they could. Chances of them doing that are absolutely nil. So if you really are that miserable, certainly start by talking to them. The bottom line is pack your bags, move on to something else. Kristen from Delaware says, Dan, I'm the mother of twin boys. I'm trying to work at home. I'm trying to work at what I'm passionate about and provide extra income for them. The thing is, all I am passionate about is reading books. I thought of doing audiobooks like you suggested in your ebook. Just a little unsure of how to go about this. Any advice? What Kristen, Kristen, yeah, you're referring to the free download that we have on 48days.net. Now, it's a free download there. It's a real product for sale on our site, but it's a free download. It's Dan's low-cost, 48 low-cost business ideas. And a whole lot of people have downloaded that, and I'm thrilled that if, if it helps stimulate your thinking. I did not put those 48 ideas together as an all-inclusive list. All I wanted to do is stimulate your thinking. So you come up with 96 ideas on your own, or you take your own passion and superimpose it on top of one of those ideas. You know, I had a young guy I ran into recently, and uh, in one of the, uh, I think it was at Best Buy, and he said, Dan, yeah, he said, I'm in you know, technology, I'm an IT guy, and I went through your 48 ideas, and of course, none of those work for me because I'm a technology guy. Uh, you got to be kidding me. No, I didn't say anything. I just said, oh, I'm sorry, it didn't work out and walked away. I'm not going to waste my time. But I mean, think about it. Why would he not take his technology expertise and take 40 of those ideas and make a unique application and knock it out of the park? But see, that's how so many people do. He just said, well, no, I'm in technology. So none of those were really technology focused. So there's nothing there for me. You know, I'm just stuck in my same miserable job. Oh my gosh. I mean, that's unbelievable. Now, However, if you found an idea in there that appeals to you and you can duplicate it, have at it. I mean, do it and do it better than the original person or what I did. I mean, a lot of those are things that I did. But, Kristen, what you're referring to is Jim Hodges, where I talked about Jim Hodges reads history books. And in reading those, I mean, that's a passion of his. But in reading those, he creates audiobooks that are sold primarily to homeschoolers. So he goes to about 10 homeschooling conferences around the country and sells what he's created as audio products and makes a nice, solid, six-figure-plus income year after year after year. His site is jimhodgesaudiobooks.com. And Hodges is H-O-D-G-E-S, jimhodgesaudiobooks.com. Now, what you do is take an area of expertise, an area of passion. Now, if you're reading, you're reading in a particular area that you enjoy the content. So decide what that is. Then decide who is an audience. 
I mean, if you love to read about, you know, parenting, then who is an audience for that? Well, they're pretty easy to identify. You get a site with a name that has an easy, you know, some kind of an easy acronym or easy connection on parenting made easy or something like that. And you're going to start attracting an audience. Comment on blogs that are out there that are on that topic. So you become known as an expert in that area. Boom, you just start doing the things that I keep talking about. You know, position yourself as an expert. And all of a sudden, people will be showing up wanting to buy the content that you have. And you can do that in audio format. Still very, very popular to do that. Great idea. Leela from India says, Is currency trading a wholesome occupation for a Christian? Well, let's, let's do this. All right. We, we could put anything there is blah, 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 you know, is dri- driving a tractor trailer rig, a wholesome occupation for a Christian, but let's do this. Let's remove for a Christian. Let's just remove for a Christian and just ask, is currency trading a wholesome occupation or is, you know, organic gardening a wholesome occupation? It really doesn't. I mean, I would not recommend anything to a person as a wholesome occupation that I didn't think would fit a Christian. I mean, I'm not going to say, well, since you're not a Christian, yeah, go ahead and do this. I mean, absolutely not. I mean, that's, that's a, a side issue. I mean, we're just talking about is something, you know, ethical and can be done with integrity and so on and so forth. Now, I, I really am not going to unpack this totally because I'm not an expert, but but certainly, you know, you ask what I think, and I don't have any problem giving you my opinion. I mean, currency trading means that you are, well, you're trading currency, but it's it's done internationally, you know, between countries is really the best way to describe it. Now, here's the thing that's interesting about currency trading, or you may know it by Forex or FX, foreign exchange market. That, that's what we're really talking about. But see, unlike stocks, even futures or options, currency trading is not a regulated exchange. It's not controlled by any governing body. There's no central clearinghouse to guarantee the trades. There's no arbitration panel to settle disputes. I mean, it's a wide open, it's a wild, wild west in currency trading. I mean, what, what you really are doing, this is what you're going to do. You're going to be watching the news really closely. So you're going to see that there was a hard freeze in Florida and it damaged the, well, that's not a good example. That's going to be commodities. I was going to say, so you see that it damaged the trees. And so, you know, there's going to be a shortage of orange juice. So you take out options on orange juice. That, that's more commodities trading. Um, that's a little different. Currency just means that, gee, something happens in Japan and you know that the Japanese yen is going to be devalued. So you do currency trading that day to buy, sell, whatever. It depends how deep a pockets you've got and if you're working with your own money or somebody else's. And you're just speculating on what's going to happen based on the value of currency in different countries. It's not illegal, but we could also look at, you know, day trading, stock investing, casino gambling, uh, bingo. They're not illegal. They're all legal. But the question still remains, is that what you want to do? 
Does that line up as using the talents God gave you in the best, best possible way? Now, for me, it would not be. I would not enjoy doing that. I mean, there's a whole lot of things in that arena that are based on taking advantage of uh, other people's hardships. I mean, it's very speculative. I mean, the whole thing is certainly legalized gambling. I just choose not to operate in those arenas. I wouldn't feel good about it. I I want to do something where I can hold my head up high. Now, can you do it? You know, are there people who do day trading or commodities speculating and make a lot of money? Yeah, but that's not an occupation that I would admire or that I would recommend to anybody. I don't care how much money is made. It's not about just making money. It's about, at the end of the day, you know, what have you done to make the world a better place? What have you done to help somebody else? What have you done that's noble or godly or humanitarian? I mean, I want to be able to answer those questions and feel good about what I did. So I'm not going to be, you know, playing a chess game and having my day consumed with that and also, you know, betting on the outcome as my means of creating income. Doesn't appeal to me at all. Now, I haven't given you a black and white answer, you know. I don't think it is a wholesome occupation. If you really want an answer for that, I think it's something else. It's legal, but I don't think it's a wholesome occupation. But I think there's a whole lot of other things that fall in that category as well. Okay. All right. I'm sure that um, stepped on some toes there. Nicole says, I have no sales experience, but long to be in radio advertising. Six months ago, my favorite radio station turned me down. It took them two months to decide. I had followed up regularly with phone calls. In the end, they went with more experienced person. Should I continue to pursue them? What advice do you have? Thanks. Well, Nicole, boy, you, you're going after an industry that's pretty tough. I mean, radio advertising is really a tough business right now. I mean, business owners know they have hundreds of options for promotion. Radio is one of many, and radio advertising has tanked. I mean, it's extremely challenging to get dollars for radio advertising. Now, most sales positions are going to be where you you may have a little base that you get, but most of the compensation will come from commissions on sales. Thus, there's little risk for a station to take you on. If you really want a job in radio advertising, you can get a job this afternoon. Simply offer to be on commission only. That shows clearly you believe you can do this well. It's no risk of them. You ought to be able to pick any station in town. Now, also, don't get hung up on one radio station. It may be your favorite radio station, but, you know, just like if somebody comes to me and says, Dan, I really want to work for Microsoft, I say, fine. Now, what are the 19 other companies that you'd also like to work for? Well, no, I just want to work for Microsoft. Well, no, that's a very bad job search approach. There are just too many intangibles, things we can't control, we can't anticipate in one company. Don't do a job search like that. Things we can't explain, have no rationale, rhyme or reason. That's all right. But don't narrow down and have one company only that you want to work for. Identify six other radio stations in your local market. Go after them. You absolutely are going to get an opportunity to do what you want to do. Again, I think it's a tough, I think it's a tough thing to go after. But if that's what you want to do, hold your head high, have fun, knock it out of the park. 
Shannon from Canada says, Dan, I'm on day 12 of the 48 days and see upcoming chapters on resume building and job search, but I have an exciting, solid business idea. Should I still work through the resume and job search process or can I skip ahead to chapter 10? (laughs) Ah, Looking forward. Now, hey, now this is interesting. Shannon says, I'm looking forward to your entree leadership book. Wish I had it for building my business right now. Hey, if you're talking about the entree leadership business book that's coming out, let me give you a clue. Hey, this is Dave Ramsey, and you're listening to my longtime friend and career coach, Dan Miller, on I Love My Work. Now, back to Dan. Okay, you got the clue? The entree leadership book that's coming out this fall is one that Dave Ramsey's doing. Not me. Not sure how you made the crossover there. Now, let me go back to your question. You're on day 12. Do you have to force yourself to go through resume building, job search, negotiating salary, interviewing skills, blah, blah, blah. When you have a business idea? No. Now, do the resume. I'd encourage you to do the resume because it'll help you clarify your strongest areas of competence. And that's you need to do no matter what you're going to end up. If you start your own business, you start the next Subway franchise, you know, concept idea tomorrow. I still recommend you have a, a resume, but you know, don't struggle over that. I mean, spend an hour on it. So you really understand your strongest areas of competence and then skip, 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 go to chapter 10, go right to where you can start shaping your business idea. Absolutely. The 48 days process is a suggested guideline. I mean, I did that just with the intention of keeping people moving along toward a real action plan. But if you know what your action plan is on day number eight, go for it. Absolutely. Jump to what is interesting for you. Autumn says... Autumn from San Diego. Can I use part of a trademark name in an unrelated business I'm not competing with? I mean, the first steps of establishing a name for my business as Space for Living Organizing or Space for Living Organizing Services. I found out through USPTO.gov that Space for Living is trademarked by an environmental nonprofit based out of Seattle, Washington. Okay, can you use part of a trademark name in an unrelated business that you're not competing with? Yes. If I go out here and I put on the front of my little restaurant, McDonald's Hamburgers, I got a problem. That's a very recognizable name connected with hamburgers. But if I want to have a place and it's McDonald's used cars, no problem. You can do that. What I really am more concerned with, though, Autumn, in your question is... Your website is We Create Space, but then you are using the name at the top of your website, Space for Living. However, let me throw in one more thing here. Spaceforliving.com is a company that does massage, reflexology, and aromatherapy. So what I would be more concerned about is what is the domain that you are going to use? If you're going to use We Create Space, then do something with that name. I mean, you can't get space for a living because that's already taken. So I would be more concerned about what you get as a domain. I mean, that ultimately, you really need to have the domain that connects with your business. 
it's pretty tricky to have a, a company name that's totally un, unrelated or unconnected to the domain that you're driving people to. So I would go back and take a fresh look at this whole space for living thing. No, the fact that you're going to use this for organizing and there's a company out there that is doing massage, reflex aromatherapy, or one that's doing environmental work. Yeah, you're okay using the name, but I'd be more concerned about how can you get a domain, a URL that drives people to your business. All right, here, let me hurry through a couple more. Dan, I listen to your podcast every week, find it interesting and helpful. I've not heard you discuss in your podcast, how would someone go about looking for investors to invest in foreign countries projects? Um, well, that's what he's asking. How do you find people who are willing to invest in projects in foreign countries? Project with price tags starting around $5 million U.S. million and up. Thanks, Dan, for all you do with your 48 Days company. This comes from Bhima Wijaya. All right. Here's what I would suggest. I'm going to give you a quick answer here to uh, what is a big issue, obviously. But if you go to 48days.com and click on useful resources, go down to crowdfunding. Now, crowdfunding, I've got some links there that's been a real popular way for people to raise funds to start new businesses. Now, typically, they're not going to be in the $5 million range. They're going to be less than that. Uh, some could go that high. But look at ProFounder. ProFounder is one, uh, Jessica Jackley, who started Kiva.org, now has started a company called ProFounder, and it is more in line with what you're talking about. Also, I've got a couple other links there for Lending Club and Prosper, and those are organizations that have people who want to invest money, and they connect with people like you who need money to start businesses. A lot of resources out there, yeah. And, and then you can always... You know, you can just go directly to venture capital companies, but those are going to be tough to really connect with and get an opportunity to present your idea. You need to have a great idea and go on, what is that new TV show like Shark or something, Shark Tank or something like that, where you have like three minutes to present your business idea? I got some people who are gearing up to get on there and uh, eh, interesting way to go. But there too, I mean, you get on there and those guys say, hey, we're going to put $5 million in your business. Guess who's going to control the business? They are, not you. So you better be willing to give up control if you're going to go for big bucks like that. Jason said, Jason from Texas, I'm going to make this my last question. I own a business for three, I've owned a business for three years. It provides mental health services to local government agencies. All the employees have graduate degrees and a state license to practice. I want to charge a competitive rate and pay a competitive wage, but I'm not sure what percentage of my charge should be paid to the employee. What's typical for professionals? Now, Jason, great question. This is a, this is a good business model. There are people who work with accountants, engineers, dental assistants, all anything you can imagine, where they find the positions. They match up a person who has that degree and experience background. They put them in there. So they're essentially a least employee or even a temp. And there are people who work at you know, General Motors for 10 years who do not work directly for General Motors, but work, work for a leasing or a management company of some kind. You're talking about working with mental health professionals. Very, very typical to do it in this way. Typically, the fee is going to be 15 to 20%. That's real common. That means you're going to pay 80 to 85% of what you collect to the employee. So if you collect $100, or let's say you collect $1,000, 
for a week of services, you're going to pay that employee. We'll just make it round figures. You're going to pay them $800 and you're going to keep $200. That's very typical business model and very acceptable range to do that. Now you can see where that goes. I mean, if if you have 10 people that you've got out in that and you just made $200 on one just by simply managing their work agreement. Uh, now all of a sudden you've got something that generates $2,000 a week for you or $100,000 a year. So you, you do the math on that. I mean, if you move up that, that up to, you've got 30 people under that arrangement, which is very doable. And then you got $300,000 that you're making. Um, I worked with a couple several years ago who had I think it was engineers. I mean, it was exactly the model you're talking about. I think it was engineers, but they were making close to a million dollars a year just by managing the work agreements. Here's the deal. A lot of people in that kind of position, engineers, as an example, are very good with their technical expertise, but they're very poor with their personal selling skills. So it's a challenge for them to get a job. Are they willing to give up 20%? of the income that they could potentially make with because they don't have to go through the job search and sell themselves. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's a win for everybody all around. What you've got is a great model. Thanks for your question. Well, there we are. Hey, we got events coming up. I already talked about those. You know, the things that are going on here. Hey, this is an exciting time to be fleshing out what you're doing with your time. You can make a lot of money. I mean, the the kind of volatility we're seeing right now is a great time to be fleshing out, finding or creating work that is meaningful, fulfilling, purposeful, all those things we want. And you know what I always add at the end, and profitable. Hey, let us know what you're doing. Get involved, 48days.com, 48days.net, and let us know how you're knocking it out of the park in these challenging times that'll be encouraging for others. Thanks for being part of the family.